0: From the headquarters of Ramsey Solutions, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where I take calls from leaders like you about what it takes to win at any stage of business and leadership. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host, with over 30 years of experience leading in the trenches right alongside you. Thanks for calling in. If you want to be a caller on the show, just call us at 844 944 1070 or give us a little hint about your question and we'll set you up as a caller on the show by going to com slash ask if you uh notice there is a black cloud over the show today uh and that everyone's wearing black with a tear in their eye it's because it is producer tim hull's last show that he is producing tim has been producing the show for several years long before i came along and messed it up uh he used to produce an actual show with real uh with real guests and hosts and all that kind of stuff and um He's bored stiff now with me just taking calls, and uh, all kidding aside, he's done a wonderful job and is making a move to another state with a family situation, and so we're we're grieving the loss of our producer, uh, and we will persevere and continue to take your questions. But Tim, well done. It's been an honor working with you and walking with you, and thanks for helping me make the transition into doing this show uh, for the first time since this show started many years ago. I'm now the host Taking your calls. Again, 844-944-1070. Tori is in Atlanta to kick off this particular episode. Hi, Tori. How are you?
1: Hi, Dave. Thank you for taking my call.
0: Sure. What's up?
1: Uh, I'm a court reporter and a business owner of a court reporting and transcription agency. I have eight contractors, and I'm the only employee so far. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to share a brag and a question, please. Okay. My brag is in 2022, I increased my business income by 35% and I'm on track to do it again and more this year.
0: You're up 35%. Congratulations. How did you do that?
1: Um, Listening to Entree Leadership and delegating and hiring great contractors. Mm -hmm. And I'm on track to do it again and more this year.
0: Wow. Very cool. All right. How can I help?
1: Um, Due to the nature of our licensing and certifications, I'm worried I'm going to be stuck as a treadmill operator. How do I get off the treadmill?
0: You're already not a treadmill operator. You've already delegated the large portion of your business to contractors, haven't you?
1: I have one service, which is the transcription service, is all contractor. And then the court reporter is me, and then I have three students in school.
0: For court reporting? Yes. And what happens when they come out of school? Are they employees or contractors?
1: They're going to be contractors.
0: Okay. All right. So your business model is to run an agency for contractors. That is your business. Your business is not court reporting. Okay. Your your business is to employ and uh, be an agency, a booking agency for court reporters and for transcribers. And okay. you are to keep them busy. That is your job. And you right. also happen to be a a player coach practitioner. But a treadmill operator is if you stop working, all of the income stops. And in your case, that's not the case because you get income from these other people, don't you?
1: I do, but I've been calling myself a a tread finder.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you might be. You might have some steps to, you might have a couple things you need to clean up to completely leveling up. But basically, you've got to have a good management of your time. The big deal is to not be a the treadmill operator. Basically, owns their own job, and so you know when all of the revenue it rests on your shoulders, you're a hundred percent treadmill operator. And so the idea is to offload the revenue production. And you don't have to offload a hundred percent of it to move up to Pathfinder, but I, I think you might be a Pathfinder, uh, depending oh, on depending on some of the other symptoms and what's going on. So I think you're fine. The difference is, is that that it's a little uh, weird for you, and and you kind of stop and think about it that these are not employees; they're they're right. you know they're all contractors. And so, but if you if your goal was you were going to open a painting contracting business, and my goal is to have seven different crews and I do the marketing and I keep all those crews busy, but they don't work for me. They're contractors. And, uh, I just get a cut for setting up the jobs, which is what you're getting now, I assume. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, you're an agency in that sense, in the truest sense. Like I've got a friend that does that with, um, uh, freelance, uh, uh, programmers writing, writing code. Okay? Oh, okay and so you know he he's a code guy by practice but he has about 25 or 30 people that all work contract and he sets up their contracts and he makes a a margin on it and so he runs an agency that's his his business is he's an agency now is there you know is there administrative tasks or whatever for this company that you own that you need to bring in an assistant or you need to bring in you know, a bookkeeper, or you need to bring in something else, uh, that's fine. And the guy that I'm talking about also is a player coach like you. He can write code at a very high level, though. He doesn't take anything except very high strategic platform type stuff, um, big dollar stuff, in other words. And then he's got a whole bunch of, you know, dev one, dev two, dev threes out there that he just farms out, and they all typically work from home, and he's typically just, they're, they're freelancers, but he keeps them busy because he has the reputation of only having high-quality um, uh, production folks in his, in his stable. And that's the same thing you do. So that, that I think that's officially Pathfinder, as long as you've got the other things under control. Where Now, if, if 2% of your income is coming from the contractors and 98% from you, well, no, you're a treadmill. But if you're making enough of a spread on them that you don't have to work much, you just do some keep your skills sharp and to add to your income, then that would put you at pathfinder. So yeah, that's the direction I would go. Congratulations, Tori. Very, very, very well done. I love it. Cool stuff. Hey, you're listening to the Entree Leadership Podcast.
2: Just because you don't mind booking your own travel or juggling your own calendar doesn't mean you should. Delegating tasks like that gets you off the treadmill to tackle the big picture things that only you can like setting vision for your team. Look, as a leader, you can either limit your time or liberate it. And that's why Belay exists. Belay has expert talent like virtual assistants, accounting professionals, and social media managers who can handle the operational work so you can focus on growing your business. Plus, if you need an assistant, Belay will pick the right one for you. And they're really good at it. They learn about your systems and software and they analyze soft skills and personality. In fact, Belay's vetting process has a 95% success rate matching assistants with more than 10,000 happy clients. So let go with help from Belay. And if you're not sure how an assistant can help you, check out Belay's free resource called The Top 25 Things You Can Delegate to an Assistant. Just text Entree to 55123. This PDF will help you imagine what the year could look like when those time-consuming tasks are off your plate. That's E-N-T-R-E to 55123. Welcome back
0: to the Entree Leadership Podcast. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host. We appreciate you being with us. Well, for those of us that run small businesses, um, we're get-or-done people. We're get-up, leave-the-cave, kill-something-and-drag-it-home people. So we have traditionally stood back and made fun of, with good reason, some of the stupid butt stuff that goes on in corporate America, and particularly this movement that um, says, um, you know, you have uh, ping pong tables and pool tables and uh, skee ball. I laughingly called it skittle ball one day here on the air, and they've all made fun of me ever since. But, um, uh, you know, just like we have to have a game room inside the company, and we play cornhole inside the company. And uh, you know, we all get free lattes on if you ring a bell or whatever kind of crap. I mean, it's like, it's like you're living in some kind of a zoo or something instead of actually a company. And we've all kind of made fun of that. Um, although I do it all now and, um, uh, and the guys on how money works have really taken corporate America to task about this because if you do all of that stuff, and you don't create a corporate culture of performance and excellence and you don't create a corporate culture of accountability and you don't cr- for behaviors and you don't and, and you paper over all this half-butt work that's not getting done with a cornhole tournament then then and you call that corporate culture then you become a laughingstock and google has kind of fallen in fallen into that So the guys on How Money Works, the YouTube channel, have uh, say corporate America has become obsessed with company culture, but those Friday afternoon drinks and team building days are papering over a terrible trend, which is making your workplace miserable and stalling your career. Company culture is one of the biggest trends in corporate management. And according to a survey of job seekers and hiring managers conducted by Robert Half, a workforce analytics firm, 91% of managers said that candidates fit with the organizational culture was more important than their skills and experience which I don't disagree with. Hilariously, a PWC survey on company culture found that 69% of companies believe their culture gave them a competitive edge, presumably over the 31% of companies that realize that an office doesn't need a ping pong table and kombucha on tap to be a nice place to work. Managing corporate culture is expensive. Corporate culture managers are earning an average salary package of $110,000 a year, according to Glassdoor uh, direct salary. Okay, so there's kind of two points on these guys' spectrum. One point is uh, that this whole idea of company culture is ridiculous and laughable, and it's failing in corporate America. On the other end of the spectrum is that if we put in a ping pong table and a kombucha, then we call that company culture, then uh, we've taken care of everything. Neither one of these are correct. There's a third point On the diagram. Let's draw draw it as a triangle instead of a spectrum, okay? Let's just go outside the lines and go over and drop a third point. The third point is is that we get our work done with excellence and diligence. We care deeply about each other, um, and we can have fun at work. We have a massive battle of the bands thing here, but we're not awesome at Ramsey because we have a massive battle of the bands thing. We're awesome at Ramsey and we have a battle of bands thing, We're awesome at Ramsey, and we have incredible food in our cafeteria. We're awesome at Ramsey, and we take care of our team members when they're in a lurch, when their house gets flooded or burned or a tornado hits it or someone's mom's got cancer. We take care of people. We love them, and we get our work done. It's not instead of. See, if you do all that stuff and you don't do excellence and you don't take care of people and you don't treat people with dignity and you don't demand accountability for behaviors inside the organization, then you are papering over with fun the lack of the wussification of your team, or not the lack of wussification, the pure wussification of your team, right? And so the guys on How Money Works are assuming that every time you do that stuff that you're wrong. No, every time you do it to paper it over, To paper over to go to, to camouflage that all your other screwed up stuff and you call that company culture, then you're giving company culture a wrong name, a bad name. But company culture is the culture of how your company works. I mean, every company has a culture. Some of them have a toxic culture. Some of them have a great culture. Some of them have a work culture. Some of them have a fun culture. Some of them have a production culture. So what is your culture of your company? That's what we're dealing with. And what you've got to concentrate on out there if you're running a small business is both. But no, you can't have an ice cream party and it make everything okay in a place that's not okay. Completely agree with that. But let's go back to this other thing. This one caught me here. And these guys are criticizing this, apparently, on this How Money Works guys, and they're sharp guys. Uh, But I think they missed the point. According to a survey of job seekers and hiring managers conducted by Robert Half, 91% 91% of managers said that a candidate's fit in the organizational culture was more important than their skills and experience. Now, if you're cult, by culture fit, you mean someone likes ice cream parties, then, yeah, that's BS. But if your culture fit is we have values, we have 14 core values on the wall here at Ramsey, including share the profits, including we do our work as unto the Lord, including we have a self-employed mentality, including excellence in the ordinary. These are our core values. And if you have wonderful skills and experience, but you don't align to those core values, we don't want you here. Not 91% of the time, 100% of the time we don't want you here. Because all you're doing is bringing a well-educated, sophisticated, crazy into my building. You need to align with those values first and foremost, and have skills, and have excellence. But yeah, culture alignment to actual real culture, healthy culture, a culture of healthy conflict, cultural alignment to that is more important than your skills and experience. And so, but I think if I'm reading this right, that these guys are saying, no, skills and experience are, they're, they're, they're the trump card. They're the king of the hill. No, they're not. No, they're not. We all know people that have skills and experience who are too dadgum stupid and dysfunctional to work with. They mess up everything. They are the ultimate fly in the ointment. We all know those people. And so those, that's a time you should not hire them. You should hire a cultural fit, and, and you can help them get the skills and experience. If you've got to choose, but my, my contention is you don't have to choose. You can get skills and experience and a cultural fit, but we don't want people that aren't cultural fits at Ramsey. They cause us all kinds of problems and they're not happy. They don't like it because this is an uncomfortable place to work. If you don't fit in intentionally, and that's company culture. So that's what you want to create. This is a, this is who we are. That's a cultural fit. We think this way. We do things this way. Now you need to ask yourself the question, are you a we? Are you going to be French? We, we, This is us. Are you going to be involved in who we are? Are you going to stand back and collect a paycheck from a place and say they? No, you're a we. You're just a dysfunctional we because you work there and took their money. So that, that's that's a, so 100% of managers ought to say co- culture trumps experience, culture trumps skills. But what you really want is both, skills, experience, and culture fit. But I hope we don't ever let anybody else in this building that's not a culture fit the rest of the time that we work here. 98% of the problems I've had as a leader have been due to culture fit problems, not skills and experience problems. I very seldom have run into somebody that's a fabulous culture fit and just too dadgum dumb to do the job. This very seldom happens. Of course, part of our culture is we're get them people, so we attract get em people. Get it. Get it. And, you know, you, you don't want to work here if you're not going to do that because we're all getting it. So, you know, that's the thing. So not sure if I got this all exactly in context or not, but that's my take on this whole uh, corporate culture thing. Yes. If if what the guys at How Money Works are saying is we're papering over dysfunction and lack of performance and horrible human beings by having an ice cream party and calling that company culture and paying some goober $125,000 a year to run the ice cream party, well, that's dumber than a rock. I agree with you. But to say that you want to hire people that aren't cultural fits, that have skills and experience, no. We'll go on the other side of the fence on that one, boys and girls. So I think there's a third point on the diagram. That's my point. And so you're going to have a company culture. It's by default or by creation. So you ought to get with creating it and decide what it is. Hopefully, you're not papering over dysfunction, malfunction, junction with ice cream parties. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Hey folks, I started Ramsey Solutions on a card table 30 years ago. Over that time, we had too many different systems and they slowed us down. That's why we now use NetSuite. NetSuite works for us and it'll make a difference for your business too. Whether you're just starting out or you're well on your way to becoming a multi million dollar company, NetSuite can scale with you to help communicate across departments and plan ahead better. See, you know your day to day forward and backward. But stuff like analytics, accounting, human capital management, all that might be another story. Or maybe you're not tech savvy. Well, all that's okay. NetSuite will help your company in your situation increase your speed. More than 37,000 companies use NetSuite to know their numbers. And right now you can download NetSuite's free KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance at netsuite.com Ramsey. That's netsuite.com slash Ramsey. So we've been talking about the stages of business, the roadmap that's going to help you grow your business. I hope you've been paying attention because the stages are going to help you accelerate your growth like you wouldn't believe. If you're a business owner and you're trying to level up to the next stage, you're going to need more than just the high-level summary we've been giving you here on the air. You need to attend Entree Leadership Master Series This conference is five days of tactical crash course on how to grow and how to run a business. It is our playbook at Ramsey, opened up and gone through every play. We break down the skills you need to advance through the stages of business, delegation, hiring, strategic planning, everything, time management. Best part, none of it's theory. All of these lessons are taken directly from what we've done to grow Ramsey From the treadmill operator stage all the way to the legacy builder stage over the last 30 years. There's so much to talk about. We've even added an extra day to the conference this year and it's happening November 5 through 10 at our headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee in the new Ramsey Event Center. We're very close to selling out. I think there's like 49 tickets left so if you want to join us, do not wait any longer. Go to com slash Master Series and get your tickets today. Seth is in College Station, Texas, Aggieland. What's up, Seth? Hey, Dave, great to talk with you. You too.
3: Um, well, I uh, run an air-conditioned business uh, with my two brothers. Uh, my father started it in um, early 90s, and um, we are – are really doing well and, um, trying to figure out how we can move forward and enhance our business and expand, uh, primarily with more real estate, uh, for our space here. So wanted some, uh, ideas and suggestions on how we do that.
0: Okay. So your dad owns the business.
3: He is a current shareholder in the business. Um but uh, myself and my two younger brothers also have uh, holdings in the, in the company as well.
0: Who makes the decisions? I do. You have the majority shares.
3: I do not have the majority shares. I am uh, acting president of the company
0: and okay. um, all right, how so many team, how many team members have you got? Six. And you're in the heating and air business. That is correct. And so you do residential or commercial heating and air installation and repair?
3: That's correct. Yeah, it's about a a 70 to 30 split, uh, primarily residential.
0: Okay. And what's your gross revs?
3: Uh, 1.7.
0: Okay. And uh, why does real estate enter into this discussion?
3: Well, that's a good question. Um, So my father owns the the property and the building uh and we rent it from him.
0: Oh crap. Uh,
3: as okay. a means, <laughs> Well, it it's been a it's been a, a really good deal um both for both parties and um
0: Have it, you out are you saying you're outgrown it though?
3: Well, we haven't outgrown the actual uh land. We just need to do some uh, major modifications, uh tear down an ancient thing and rebuild it.
0: Your and ancient, your ancient what? You cut out
3: building, building. Oh, ancient tear tear building down the is, whole building. Uh, yeah, well, part of it. Yeah, about about a about a um, probably about a third of the. Okay, I, I
0: assume building. you're making sales at people's houses, not out of your building. That is correct. So why do you need a better building?
3: Well, uh, we we are using it to uh, both store and maintain. Uh, we're not in. College Station proper. We're more out in the boondocks, so mm-hmm. we have to we have to hold some some materials for jobs.
0: So you're uh, using it as a warehouse.
3: Area. Yes, sir. That's correct.
0: And why do you need a fancier warehouse?
3: Well, we don't we don't need a fancier warehouse. We just need a warehouse where we're able to utilize uh, a forklift um, and and stage our equipment for our jobs that are coming up. And
0: why can you uh, not do that there? Inventory. What's wrong with this building?
3: It is, uh, it's got eight foot ceilings and, uh, it's just an old metal building. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're, we're just, we just need some more, more space to, uh, store and also, uh, build duct work and,
0: uh, ah, um, do some prefab. Th- yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Prefab, things like that. Yes, sir.
0: Okay. How many square feet is it?
3: Uh, the current square footage uh, would be about uh, 6000
0: Okay. All right. This is the problem with small businesses owning the business, owning the real estate that they work in. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, because what happens is suddenly the building starts telling the business what to do. Instead of the business right. telling the building what to do. If you were a tenant in this building, mm-hmm. you would just simply move. To right. a place to a place that was high ceilings and that gave you more square footage right. and that you could run a tow sure. motor on. And right. it would be that simple because the old place that you are or or you would tell your landlord if you want to if you want to keep us, you've got to build us a building over here. This one's not working. But but the right. problem is is that one of your shareholders in the business happens to be the owner of the real estate. And so suddenly right. these things are telling each other what to do in a in a dysfunctional way. So you can right. never allow the building to tell the business what to do. The business always has to tell the building what to do. And it's very difficult right. when you're the owner of both to keep that, to keep right. that perspective. And so, sure. um, you're, you know, your dad, it probably, if I'm an investor of real estate in your area, it probably doesn't make sense for me to tear my building down and build you a different building on the same property. I'm probably, right. it probably doesn't plan. make good economic sense to do that. If I'm the investor, if I'm just a real estate investor, right. if I'm your landlord, sure. Right. I'm right. probably just going to lose you as a tenant and get a different tenant. But this thing's in the middle of nowhere. Can your dad get another tenant?
3: Um, I suspect he, I suspect he can. Um, And, and primarily the reason the building needs to be rebuilt, regardless if we need more space or not. I mean, it's, it's, Probably 100 years old, the concrete's cracked. It's uh, Okay, you know, so then let's step back damage. and I look mean, at it
0: not from your perspective, but look at it from your dad's perspective. All right. What are you okay. guys paying in rent now?
3: Uh, currently, we're paying uh, 3000 okay. a month.
0: Okay. And um, if you found the place that did everything you were. Uh, you, I would assume you could make more money because you could store more and do more prefab work and have the ability to move sure. around, right? So if you were doing that from your perspective as the president of a business and you're going to go rent a different building from a different landlord but you're going to pay a little more rent because you're going to have a better situation that makes you more money, what is your rent budget at your new building that you're going to move to?
3: I would say it'd easily be... Uh, Six to
0: seven. Okay. All right. Let's just, uh, yeah. Okay. Let's double it. 6,000. All right. Yeah. And, and yeah. your this building is how many square feet? You told me, but I forgot.
3: Uh, the, the new building, no, the is, old building, um, the old building, the one, oh, you're the in old now. building. Uh, it is, um, it's about, uh, 2000 square feet. Okay. Sorry, and, no, sorry, and, sorry. Uh, and
0: the building that you would rent is, as the president's company. If you went and found the perfect building would be at what size? It
3: would be, uh, about double that size, so we'd probably be around like six thousand.
0: Six thousand feet with an office warehouse.
3: That's correct. Yeah.
0: Office on the front, warehouse stuff in the back. High ceilings, good solid concrete right. loading dock, etc. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, what can what can a real estate investor, if I want to come out there and build this building for you, what can I build six thousand square foot of office warehouse in the boonies outside College Texas, College Station, Texas for? What's it going to cost me to build that?
3: Oh. Uh, I would probably say uh somewhere between
0: uh 250 to 350. Okay. And, and, uh, and that just be yeah. That
3: be warehouse only, so that's what I'm looking at uh but but yeah, we'd have to add a office so that that probably increase it by another hundred, hundred fifty.
0: Yeah, I I'm guessing I can do it for 350 or you know 250 to 350. I yeah. think you're probably right. All right, so am I gonna make a good return at $6,000 a month? $72,000 a right. year on a 250 th- two fifty investment. Is right. that a good deal for a real estate investor?
3: That seems like a good one.
0: Okay. All right. Now you start running your numbers back. That This is how you... So what I'm teaching you yeah. by asking this series of questions is separate this deal because it's, it's all entangled with each other and it's screwing up right. your decision-making ability. You guys need to make a decision for the business. Your dad needs to make a decision on real estate. If we can get both of them aligned, then do the deal. Tear the stupid thing down. Your dad does this. Your dad puts up $250, builds it, and he has this. And then you guys are going to inherit this piece, this nice building from your father, not from your landlord. When your dad dies someday, in the meantime, the business is the tenant. But they're very separate transactions and it has to be win-win. Win for the landlord, win for the business. And if you can make those numbers work that way, which is the, that's the exercise you and I just went through Li- on, on, on right. live podcast right here in front of the whole world. So yeah, I think you're okay. I think these numbers do work, by the way. Uh, the the right. only question is where your dad's going to come up with 250 grand and no, the HVAC business is not going to go borrow the money for the landlord. It's not your money, it's not your building, they're separate. You got. Right. You, you see what I'm doing here? This is where people get screwed up on this and where you set yourself up for a fall, because now we're really convoluted. Yeah, but I put up the building. No, you're the landlord, you didn't put up nothing. You put up the building for yourself and found a tenant that's excellent, who happens to be the children that you sired. That's it, that's all it is, okay? so you know that that's the way this works you got to keep this stuff separate and and when you get ready to sell the business you need to keep your real estate separate from your business sale if you're going to sell the business you keep the real estate they do not have to be inextricably tied together woven together you know cut the cord and and so I've run into this In our business at Ramsey We had a 55,000 square foot building That we completely outgrew We rented a big bunch of office warehouse From the neighbor right behind Put a bunch of people out there And outgrew that We went half a mile Three quarters of a mile away And rented another 60,000 square feet Of office space We were all over a two mile radius Over there in one particular neighborhood All we did was walk back and forth To meetings or drive shuttles God help us It was a horrible time And all of that was because the business outgrew the building and when i finally realized the problem i had created was i i almost just went and rented a big office tower and moved us all in it and then i thought no i think we can take three years and just build us a big office tower okay let's do that so i'm going to be a great landlord i'm going to go over here and build what ramsey needs and then ramsey's going to move into it the ramsey solutions that is so that and i but the deals are very very separate You know, I've got half a million square feet here now under roof, uh, in excess of a half a million square feet under roof, and it's all paid for, and I'm the landlord, and then Ramsey Solutions is the exclusive only tenant. And the deal works mathematically for both parties beautifully, but they're very, very separate. If Ramsey Solutions ever uh, turns upside down and goes away, the Ramsey family has some awesome real estate. So that, that's the, you got to keep the win, 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 separate deals and win, win, separate deals and win, win. And then you'll be right on track. Great question, Seth. Sounds like you guys got a great and booming business. I'm proud of you. Thank you for being in the audience of the Entree Leadership Podcast. Do you have an action plan to unlock the next stage for your business? It's up to you, the business owner, to gain the leadership skills and build the scalable processes that will cause your business to grow. But I've seen too many leaders give up or burn out simply because they didn't have a plan. The good news is you don't have to come up with that plan on your own. We can show you exactly what you need to do. Go to entreleadership.com slash bizquiz to take our free stages of business assessment and get the action plan you need to unlock the next stage for your business. Thanks for listening to the Entree Leadership Podcast. If you like this, help us spread the word. Follow. Share. Five-star reviews. This is all helpful. It changes the algorithm, and people actually are able to discover this show, whether you're a podcast or YouTube or wherever you are. Thank you for letting people know about this uh, our marketing budget consists of your mouth. Yep. You got to spread the word for us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And you can submit your questions here anytime. Be part of the show. Just leave a voicemail at 844-944-1070 or put your questions online at entreleadership.com slash ask. Danielle is over in North Carolina. Hi, Danielle. How are you?
4: Hey, Dave. I'm doing good. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. What's up? Sure. So um, down here in North Carolina, I have a small um, gourmet peanut processing company that I started back in 2009. I came from an agricultural background and kind of ventured off and started this peanut processing company. Um, and through the, through the years since 2009, I have had ups and downs both personal and business had some things personally going on that unfortunately affected the business too and i've just over the last probably four years or so it's just been really um more of a a tornado whirlwind type thing and i've made a lot of bad financial decisions um to quote you when you talk about dumb butt stuff, you know my picture is probably in the dictionary beside that word <laughs> because that's what I've done. <laughs> um, and I'm just trying I have, trust me. Um, so I'm just trying to get on the right track and stay there. And it's it's kind of like I've
0: is all the personal crap stabilized.
4: Um somewhat um I have three deaths well, so in 2014, I had, I went through a divorce, which mm-hmm. was very difficult. And mm-hmm. then um, and, two, and right after the divorce, like three or four months later, my mom had a major heart attack and had to move in with me. Mm-hmm. Then in 2016, my oldest sister was diagnosed with cancer, and she moved in with me, and I took care of her until she passed away. Um, during this time, I had to relocate the business because of having gone through the divorce. And so I purchased a warehouse here in our little town and was doing renovations in it to get it um, up where we had to build in rooms and and get everything FDA certified and everything. So I was doing that, taking care of my sister who was passing away, taking care of my mom. Um, My sister passed away in 2017. Then my mom passed away in 2018 and then my baby sister, who was 13 years younger than me, passed away very unexpectedly in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, with all of that going on and trying to, you know, keep the business going, and like I say, during um, a couple of those years, I was um, going through dealing with contractors and renovating this building and, and making those decisions, and just it kind of had me stretched really thin. Um, so have so you been making money through
0: all of those years?
4: We have been making sales and I mean, how we are you have, eating? Um,
0: are you, are you making a profit <laughs> all of those years? I mean, you're have, talking about nine yeah. years here of tragedy.
4: Yeah. It's, it's been difficult. It's,
0: it's I mean, been, but, I mean, how but, have you, I, um, I, this sounds like this was business was barely operating. I can't imagine it was making enough for you to even pay your own personal bills.
4: Yeah, it's, it's been tight. It's been very tight, which is one of the reasons that. Okay, so give me, me an example. In twenty twenty
0: one, what was your gross revenues and net profit?
4: In twenty twenty one, it was about four hundred eighty thousand dollars in sales.
0: Right, and what was your um, profit on last
4: that? year? The profit was in the negative.
0: There wasn't. Okay, a profit. how did you pay your bills? How did you pay groceries for Danielle?
4: So I did, I did draw a salary. I was drawing a salary of about $30,000, um, from yeah, but the, the thing
0: lost money and you don't have the money to fund the loss.
4: And I put savings back into the, that's what I've done through the years. Is oh, you've had a big settlement money. from
0: the divorce.
4: I did have some settlement from the divorce. How much? I had some savings that I kept up. How much? Um, did I put back in the business?
0: No. How much money did you get from the divorce?
4: Um, it was right around $120,000.
0: How much of that's left nine years later?
4: Um, Not much. Probably about 15000
0: So you've been living out of that in the years that the business didn't make money.
4: Right. Yeah. That, okay. And, I couldn't figure
0: out the math. That this is what now it's at it least yeah. logical. Well, okay. So now, yeah, thing, so now you're not things making things money. So paying. why are we still doing peanuts when we lose money?
4: Well, that's kind of the situation. That's kind of what I have been thinking through the years. Is you know, it's like there's potential there.
0: How long I, has it been since you made a profit?
4: Mm, it's been about five years. About four years.
0: Okay. This has got to stop. This is not a business. This is a bad hobby. So you need to set yourself a deadline that you have to become profitable in a a few months. Why are you not making, you don't have these things priced high enough to make a dadgum profit. And yet you called them gourmet peanuts.
4: Right. Well, the biggest thing that I've done that I think caused the no profit is because I took out stupid loans. And they were high interest rates, and how
0: much debt have you got? It
4: just kind of um right now it's about about two hundred thousand dollars in debt. That's uh-huh. the.
0: And do you own the warehouse renovation. that you renovated?
4: I do. Yes.
0: And what is it worth?
4: Um, it's worth about four hundred thousand.
0: And what do you owe on it?
4: About two hundred.
0: Is that the two hundred we're talking about?
4: Yeah, that's the two hundred I'm talking
0: about so you have two hundred thousand dollars worth of equity. So if you close shop today, you sell the warehouse, you got two hundred thousand in your pocket. Right. And you're and you're debt free.
4: But what I'm trying to do, I mean, because the business has sales, it has potential, it has
0: When I missed um, it. You're not making any money.
4: And that and that's what I'm trying to figure out without having without closing, because I've I've looked at that too
0: about just just okay I I am not going to participate in a hallucination I'm happy to participate in a dream But a dream has to have a place where it comes down out of the clouds and starts having some reality to it. I got five years of business losses. Yes, you had personal tragedies and you didn't have your eye on the ball, but you got to give yourself and me in this conversation, you're you're more important than me in this conversation, a reason to believe we're going to be profitable very soon or we need to say, I'm hallucinating, delusional.
4: And I guess that's the reason I want to make the call was because I, you know, those have been the thoughts in my mind, but I want to, that's what I'm trying to figure out, is, okay. you know, drawing that there line. There has to be a, and a, a and give me a
0: strategic and tactical change in the next 12 months that's going to cause you to make $50,000 profit. What are you wow. going to do that causes that to happen in the next 12 months?
4: So what I've done is one, I've cut expenses way back. You can't I've cut, cut expenses enough to get profitable right i i and i have cut labor back as well you've I've got to increase doing, your
0: margins and increase your sales
4: and i've and yeah and i have taken on i've we've just got a new client and it's going to be bringing in about um probably about seventy five thousand dollars more in sales with this one customer
0: yeah.
4: um what is your what is your margin
0: and, on versus cost of goods sold do you know
4: it's
0: low. It's about thirty-five percent. So a bag of peanuts, or, or whatever they are, or a jar, or whatever we want to call it, however your packaging goes, mm-hmm. um, if uh, if if the retailer is paying you ten, if whoever you're selling it to is paying you ten dollars, uh, you got seven, you got seventy cents in this thing, 30, sixty-five cents in this thing. Right. Sixty five, six dollars no, yeah. yeah, and fifty cents out of ten dollars.
4: Yeah, six dollars yeah. Yeah.
0: Six dollars and fifty cents out of ten dollars, right.
4: It's for everything. Yeah, when I figure in everything, the cost of, of everything, on um, labor and everything, yes, that's about about right. It's about thirty five, forty percent. Depending on whether yeah. I'm selling at retail or wholesale.
0: Don't think those margins work in the world of food production, do they?
4: Well, food production is a tight market.
0: <laughs> I Although, um Yeah. But I, you know, I want to be careful. I don't get a bigger truck when I'm losing twenty cents a watermelon, right?
4: Oh no, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, um, all right. So seventy-five thousand will add twenty thousand dollars to your bottom line, right? Right. So we got to go get. We got to go get two more of those, or we got to change your pricing. Why is gourmet? What do you? Um, if they're truly gourmet, why are they not selling for ridiculous margins?
4: I'm, I'm, well, I think part of it, I guess, is I'm in line with what some of the other gourmet type peanut companies are in our area or in the Eastern part of the selling? Are you
0: selling to wholesalers and retailers or are you selling direct to consumer?
4: I'm selling to wholesalers. I have a distributor and then we also sell retail as well. We have a, uh, uh, walk-in store as well as online
0: yeah. presence. So I got a buddy of mine that owns a, a five uh, barbecue stores here locally, and he started uh-huh. doing barbecue chickens and putting them in the warehouse and selling them online, and he ended up with a direct-to-consumer online sales, making more in the, out of the warehouse than he was out of the restaurants.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that starts making me think about that for you. Like if you've got some kind of crazy cool narrative story and you're on – with your great Southern charm uh, on some television shows, talking about your gourmet peanuts and people come straight to you. And then we don't really care because we're buying the story because I honestly, as a peanut consumer, I can't tell you the difference between $6 worth and $8 worth. So I'll probably pay you $8 if I liked your story.
4: Right. And I think that's, I think that what I was looking for was from you um, and from the car was just yeah what you're giving me basic honesty because I kind of figured that's where you were gonna go but with me seeing I do see potential and I do see that I have been making some changes especially this year
0: okay, you have um, to have a serious a, a serious valid reality based reason for hope of profit soon or you got to look at yourself in the mirror and go my dreamer button's gone too far. And I got, and I'm going to, I'm going to have to call it, but you got to have it from a business perspective. You have Henry Cloud talks about necessary endings. I have to have a logical reason for believing things are going to get better. And if I don't, yeah. other than I'm just being, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just in denial. Uh, that, that's not a reason. Okay. I, if I just keep persevering, no, if you keep persevering, you don't keep getting what you've been getting. So you have to change something to get a different result. Uh, and no pun intended, but we got to change the recipe, you know I mean? So, um, that, that yeah, and you means you've got to change your your business mix, your brand mix, your pricing um, by mix. I mean wholesale, maybe you need to pick up some retail with some great online marketing and become the place to get wholesale or I mean get online uh, gourmet peanuts in the entire world. you got to get them from Danielle in North Carolina. I mean everybody knows that and you got to go there and that website just goes boom, boom, boom boom, and you do a YouTube channel or you do whatever and get some business moving there. And you start being asha- stop being ashamed of your pricing and quit trying to compete with price, because competing with price and dumbing down your price is running you out of business. You've got to get your margins up, and you got to get your volume up, and you got to get your brand mixed, your, your bus- business model mix changed. And if you do those things, maybe there is a, re- a reality-based reason for our hope, yours and mine for the future. But if we're going to keep doing what we've been doing and say, oh, we've had some tragedy, Uh, yeah, you had tragedy, so you have a reason to be here. What you've been through is horrible and sad and I'm, I feel horrible for you. It's a man, you've been through the decade of hell for sure. Uh, and you don't want another decade of hell. So face this music and go, yeah, this, I know how I got here. I got here with all this crap that happened and all this death and these problems and these people I had to take care of and divorces and all this stuff. And, but now I'm here. So for the next decade. I've got to say, this is my reality, and I'm going to take these steps to get this thing moving. Or I'm going to go do something else in my life because this is no longer fun. Because i got to tell you, making $30,000 a year working your butt off while you're sitting on a $200,000 asset is not fun. That's not my definition of fun. I want to make some money. I want to make some peanuts in the peanut business. Hello. Let's get this thing moving. All right. I want a jar of them. Send them to me. I'm, I'm crunching on them right now however their are packaged, jar bag. We never did establish that, did we? All right, so love it, love it, love it. I always wondered what a gourmet peanut tasted like. Now I'm going to find out. I'm getting some from Danielle. Hey, Danielle, thanks for calling. Hey, remember, better a weary warrior than a quivering critic. Leaders serve. Leaders are active, not passive. Leaders act on principle, not appearances. This world needs more high-quality leaders, so choose to lead. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host. Thanks for listening to the Entree Leadership Podcast.